Good morning, family. I was reminded to make sure I read the right verses this time, because there was one time in history I read the wrong ones. I was very embarrassed. Overcoming the world. We're in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. Over, overcoming the world. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All glory and honor to God and praise be to him, our Father. Thank you, Jeff. That was great. Uh, just a little, I forgot I wasn't doing the announcements today, but on the back, uh, in the back uh, pew there, uh, one of our members here had uh, printed up what is the gospel from uh, Bodie Bakken on these short cards. I, uh, I suggest you grab one. It's awesome. Uh, we, uh, we had listened to the message, and this was at the uh, end of one of the messages he did. It's just definitely worth uh, seeing, so please take, uh, take a look for that uh, uh, up there. Luckily, uh, for some of you, uh, uh, this shouldn't be as heavy as Sunday school class was, and I realized the Sunday school class was maybe a little on the heavy side. Uh, but uh, anyhow, First John chapter 5, I can't even believe it, we're almost, uh, almost at the end of this study. We will, when we are done, and I believe it's on the uh, June uh, Fifth, I think, is our last Sunday in the book of First John. We will have been in First John for 26 weeks, and it went that quickly. It just seems like we just started it the other day. It's just uh, very surprising that it's been so fast that we've gone through this. John continues a common theme that is here, a common theme in the in First John in this epistle. One of his themes, of course, has to do with the Antichrist, those that don't believe in Jesus, that those who deny who the Son of God is. But one of the other themes, and one of the important themes that's in here, uh, that is front and center, that is everywhere that we're coming off of right now, is Christian fellowship. Uh, the fellowship of the believers. Uh, and what it leads to, you'll notice that the title was Victory Abiding in Jesus, and we want to kind of keep that in just an idea in our mind. We don't have to hard focus on that, but just keep that victory abiding in Jesus. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a statement for every day. It's a statement for every hour of our lives as, as being found in Jesus, that we do have victory there. But here in 1 John 5, and these first five verses, uh, you might, uh, just a, a couple little things, you might find uh, in your Bible that you'll have a paragraph mark, a new paragraph mark starting in verse 5. 
some of your Bibles won't have that. Uh, initially, with this study, I was going to stop at four, but it makes more sense to continue through five. Uh, so, and that's why we're here. Even earlier this week, before I decided we'd put up that the that the sermon itself was only going to be through four, but it, but five makes uh, brings a little bit more clarity into these verses as we go through. And again, we always want to remember as we do expository preaching uh, that sometimes we could be twenty some weeks in. And we kind of forget where we began. You know, so we, a good reminder on that, and, uh, and I'm going to do it again t- today if we go back to 1 John 1. Uh, this is John's testimony. Uh, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Right there, fellowship. That you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. These things we write that our joy may be made complete. Look at that last, uh, second to last, or that last sentence there, or part of the sentence in, in chapter, in verse 3. And it, and it says there that we, you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, that the fellowship that is through the Father and the Son leads to the fellowship through all believers. All those who would testify that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Anointed One of God, they would find fellowship together. And that is what John is going to be in today. Today we should be shown that uh, the children of God, those that are found as children of God, through keeping His commandments, are able to find victory over this evil world. That through keeping the Lord's commandments, the children of God are able to find victory over this evil world. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. A truth statement that he dives in with right out of the gate, that, that this, is, this is the test. Uh, that if you uh, uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you are born of God. That you are fathered by God. That this Jesus is the Christ that He is the Anointed One of God, that He is the Messiah, that He is the risen Savior. Not just any Jesus. We've talked about it before. There's many people that knew Jesus. There's many people, including the Pharisees, that wanted Him killed, that would have said that that to a degree they would have known Jesus better than we do. They would have known what color his hair was, how long it was, what his voice sounded like, what his eyes looked like, how he walked, what kind of sandals he wore, what kind of robe he had. They would have known him in that regard better than we do. They would have been able to see him a a block away and say, that's Jesus there, I can tell by the way he walks. But that isn't knowing Jesus. They didn't know Jesus as the Savior. They didn't know Jesus as the risen Lord. They didn't know Jesus as the Ascended One. And if we remember back to what I just read in 1 John 1, when he speaks about we, 
we, what was from the beginning, Jesus from the beginning of all time, for me, eternality, what we have heard, this is John speaking, and speaking in the collective, in the plural, right? He's saying there's more than just Him, that we heard this Jesus. We have seen this Jesus with our eyes. We have looked at and touched. We have seen the scars on the hands of this Jesus. And it was all concerning that Word of life. This is what it means to know Jesus. Not just to know about Jesus, but to know Him as Lord and Savior. To be able to confess Him as Lord and Savior. To be abiding in Jesus. That victory we talked about, about abiding in Jesus, abiding, remaining. If you remember the story of the the mother and the son that I gave you the other week, the idea that uh, abiding is the is the mother saying to the son at the grocery store, the, the little seven or eight year old boy says, oh, I forgot some things I need to get as they're in the checkout line, it's busy. You just remain here. Now, do we think uh, that, this, that, that the mother means that you remain there like a rock in the river. And as the line moves forward, they just go around you. No, what she means is that keep moving forward the line until I return. Keep going with what I've instructed you with until I come back. So it is with those who believe in Jesus. To know who Jesus is. To abide in Jesus is to do what Jesus told us to do. There are no gray areas, no black and whites about knowing this Jesus. The one who believes in this Jesus, the one who has given the instructions, the one who has brought eternal life to us, the one who has uh, affixed us in right standing before the Father, the one who has paid for our sins, this Jesus uh, is the one that we believe in, and that those who believe in this Jesus are the ones that are fathered by God, as John says here. That they find that the Lord Himself is their Father. That they are in a new family now. It is a gift from Him. The work that Christ has done on the cross and to know what that work is. It's not just about any Jesus. It's about the Jesus that saves. I just... uh, just, I, I just want to drive this point home. Good teacher Jesus does not save you. Nice friend Jesus does not save you. If you just say, well, he was a good teacher, and he taught many good things, what you're really saying is that Jesus was a liar. Because Jesus also said that he was God. You must know Jesus as God, not just as a good teacher. If that is your only testimony, is that I believe that Jesus was a good teacher, you or will be eternally damned on that. You know just enough to keep you in hell, is what it is. You must know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the Jesus you need to know. And the one that knows that Jesus is fathered by Jesus. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. John in his consistent message, you cannot say that I love God and deny Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. 
prior to the Damascus Road uh, conversion. This is what I would use whenever he says, well, they, there, is, there, there must be other, other ways to Jesus. Look how, or other ways to God, because look how zealous they are. Paul was exceedingly zealous. Zealous to the point of killing others. But he wasn't right. Your zeal does not mean that you are right. Just because you shout it more loudly, more loudly than other people doesn't mean you're right. There is one truth, and that truth is Jesus as Lord and Savior. And to know this Jesus as Lord and Savior is to have the Father. Is to be fathered by the Father. To be fathered by the Eternal Father. To have new lineage and your old family is gone. That you are in the right family now. Fully adopted. With all the bells and whistles that go with it. With all, uh, with both the, both the gifts and the responsibility that goes with being that adopted son. You see, to know Jesus is to know that Jesus of the seed of the woman of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's that particular Jesus, that seed, that particular one with those particular attributes is the one that saves. This is the message that needs to be heard and believed. Those that are able to confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Circle it in your Bibles. It's important. Romans 10, verse 9. Paul speaking, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That is the message that needs to be heard and understood and believed. They are the ones that will be fathered by God because as we've said before, to just believe in God, good. Great for you. You have demon level faith. That's all you've got. Look at James chapter 2, verse 19. Because I hear all sorts of people say, why well, believe in God? Well, that doesn't save you. Believing in God does not save. Believing in Jesus is what saves. James chapter 2, verse 19. It says these words, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. There's a difference between believing and just, eh. Believing in Jesus, knowing Jesus, with the changed lineage that you are no longer a son or daughter of Mr. or Mrs. X, Y, and Z, but you have been fully adopted with all the privileges. You have been made alive together in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. Romans 6, verses 10 through 11. For the death that He died, that Jesus died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to your sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the Jesus we must know. This is the Jesus I'm afraid that not many people do know. This is the Jesus that needs to be preached. This is the Jesus that saves you from your sins. This is the Jesus that you need to abide in. This is the Jesus that you need to trust in. This is the same Jesus who, while on the cross, held the universe together. 
This Jesus. Don't miss this today. Don't miss this today about just knowing God. You must know the Son. Don't leave here today just wondering about it, but plead with the Lord to know the Son and be saved at this moment. It is that important that if I were to leave from this platform today to walk away, that I just want you to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you must know Him. Do not leave here and get in your car without knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because you're in danger of the pit of hell if you don't. If we go to the next part of 1 John chapter 5, or the next part of that, that sentence, it says that whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. John is a John using logic throughout his message, who throughout this epistle, you know. So he says, if you believe in Jesus as the Christ, is born of God, is, is has the Father as his Father, and whoever loves the Father because you love the Son, loves the child born of him too. I would put the the two after that. Also after that. To be found saved by the work of Christ, and to love the Lord, means that you would love others who have found the Lord also. Who have also been found by God. Have also been found in Jesus. You would love them too. That you could test where you're at in your life, in your faith, by do you love the other saints? Do you love the other believers in Jesus? Do you love them? With all their faults and all. all with all their faults. Because you have the faults too. How do you treat other believers? Not just the one, not just the ones that are high thinking, but the ones that all they can do is say, "I love Jesus." They can shout it out in the grocery store, "I love Jesus." Are you loving them too? You know that is the that is the the the, the test we get, uh, drawing, us, drawing, drawing us back to a common statement in this, uh, this letter, uh, a statement of fellowship. Uh, to be found alive because you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in your sins beforehand. But to be found in Jesus is to be found alive. You are, you are risen from the dead. While we were yet dead, Christ died for us, right? You are risen from the dead through no work of your own. I didn't wake up one morning and say, yep, this is the time to change my heart. Now I love Jesus. It didn't work like that. But I knew at the moment that I believed. I also knew at that moment that I believed that the previous times I said I knew Jesus, I was lying to myself. To be found alive in Christ is to love those who have been found alive in Christ. To be found alive in Christ is to love those who are also found alive in Christ. It's just a simple statement. If you're not loving to those who are found alive in Christ, then I would have some serious questions to ask you. How can you be secure in your faith knowing that you are running counter to the command of God? He says clearly to love your fellow believers. I want you to think about this, how many times, you don't need to write this down, 
how many times that John in just this epistle has spoken about loving other believers. I'll just read off the scripture. 1 John 2.9, 1 John 2.10, 1 John 2.11, 1 John 3.10, 1 John 3.11, 1 John 3.15, 1 John 3.17, 1 John 4.7, 1 John 4.8, 1 John 4.11, 1 John 4.20, and 1 John 4.21 up until this point. I would say, if you want to know if it's important, it's important. That's how many times he has talked about loving your fellow believers. It is critical to demonstrate your love for fellow believers. Imagine how this was received in this church in ancient Ephesus. Because I guarantee it was received differently than we might be hearing. Because you must imagine yourself in ancient Ephesus, this tiny little church in an exceedingly dark city. And I don't mean that they didn't have lights. What I mean is the fact that it was dark with regard to pagan demon worship. It was the, the, the course of the day. It was spell books and curses. And it was temple worship and sacrifice of animals to idols. It was all sorts of fun things like that that they did. And I use that fun with quotations around. Fun leading to death. I mean, it was a bad town. It was a constant drawing back to, you can imagine these people that now profess their faith in Jesus, that profess their faith in a risen Savior, that almost sounds foolish to people that are doing far more foolish things. Worshipping little tiny idols that are about this big. And they're providing food in front of them. Uh, and they're dressing them. And they're putting them in boxes at night so they can sleep. This is what the people are doing in the town. They're praying to demons. They're trying to call out demon names so that they can control demons. This is what is happening all around this, this, this congregation in Ephesus. We don't know how many people were in this church in Ephesus. There was probably a, a number of house churches there. But certainly they were far outnumbered by the, by the dark and evil world that was around them. Friends and families would have participated in the pagan worship and the orgies that occurred at the temple. Always trying to draw them back. So when they hear this about Christian fellowship, what do they think about when they're receiving it in a town that is hostile to the gospel? They're thinking, this is absolutely ob obvious because the only thing I can count on is my fellow believers. Those are the only people that I can count on to strengthen me in these hard times. They're the only ones I could go to to pray for me. They're the only ones that understand the burdens of the pressure that comes from outside to draw me back into this false belief. It is the fellowship of believers. I can imagine that they would hear this letter read and they would say, yes, yes, amen, amen, it's so true. I love my fellow brother and sister. We, in this day and age, we tend to dislike our fellow brother and sister because they don't like the music that well. Or maybe... They read out of an ESB as opposed to the correct NASB Bible, <laughs> right? We create divisions. We don't see the relationships of fellowship. And it is a call to say, amen, John. It is so important that we have fellowship amongst believers. I can tell you that I feel better here today on Sundays than at any given time during the week at my job. My fellowship is here. I feel like an alien there. It is amongst the believers that we, uh, in our actions amongst the believers, it's why 
our Sunday school class is the way it is. It's why we teach on hard subjects in the Sunday school class, because we have a magnificent, immense, holy God that we worship. A God that has chosen not only to create, but chosen to save a sinner like me. For reasons that I cannot fathom other than for His own glory to do so. That's why we preach the way we do here. That's why we teach the way we do here. And when we know that Jesus, when we know that God, the Father, when we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and we praise God that He has saved others, that there are other believers that are here that He has chosen, we just praise God in humble humility for what He has done. We are humbled by the work that God has done. Humbled that He has chosen to open our cold, dark hearts, hardened against the Word, and that we see it as true. That the glory of the cross is but for the cross, we would all be bound for eternal damnation. But for the cross. Which leads us to verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. So it may sound a little circular at the moment, uh, what he's saying, but I, uh, trust me, it's not. It's a, it's a fairly easy test or line of thought to, to follow. Uh, we follow the commandments of God and therefore we will love the children of God. And it's easy to see Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 Matthew twenty two thirty seven. If you'd turn there, when Jesus was being questioned, and it said in thirty six, "Teacher, which is the great command of the law?" And Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." And then thirty eight. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second, verse 39, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 40, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love your neighbor. Love your fellow believer. Uh, it is just summed up in, the, in these verses. John is not pointing to something new. He's saying, look, the, the Lord Himself said this right from the beginning. Love your neighbor. Greet your neighbor. Your fellow believer. Pray for them uh, all at all times. Be a good Christian to them. He says it so clearly. Uh, the, there's no mistaking the message. Uh, he will continue to draw upon this idea, right? As he continues in verse 3. Uh, we would label this section, because God is gracious, His commands are not burdensome. Because God is gracious, the things that He commands those who believe in Jesus, uh, what He commands them to do, uh, they are not a problem. They are not a burden. In fact, it's obvious that it's the thing we should do when our hearts have been changed. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. They are not a bother. They don't weigh you down. In fact, His commandments, when you believe in Jesus, are freeing. 
If you love God, then you will love His command, commandments, His precepts, His words. For to love God is to love the things that He loves. Other believers would be loving other believers and also loving those things, His commandments, His word. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 19, verse 7 through 10. Now you'll remember a couple of years ago we went through uh, Psalm 119 is a short version of Psalm 119. And if you remember a number of years ago, we were in Psalm 119 for about four or five, five months, six months is what we were. But Psalm 119, if you turn to verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. This is David speaking. The law of the love is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are all true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Uh, through the word of the Lord becomes special revelation. It's how we know who our Savior is. It's, it, it is through the preached word that God has chosen to save man. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. His commands are not burdensome. In fact, they are life-giving. As I mentioned in Sunday school class today, to go and just on any day of the week and multiple hours a day, just go read Ephesians 1 and see how amazing the Lord is and what He has done. But these words, these commands tell the true story of God. They, they tell the amazing work of, this, uh, of the Lord through His Word and commands to us. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17.17, uh, 17, He says, Father, sanctify them in truth. And that truth isn't downloaded into your car when you're sitting in a Walmart parking lot. It says, sanctify them in truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. Stories and illustrations that I might tell from here are not truth. In that they might be true, but they are not the truth of God. The only truth of God is found in His word. That's why we put the, the exposition of Scripture here at such a high level. It's the only way I can know my Lord. It's the only way I can know my Savior. It's the only way I can know the triune God is through His Word. If the things I say are not linked to the Word, that isn't good. That's why I say, don't believe me just because I say them. Go to the Word and see that they're true. Be a good Berean. right? For they were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica, for they went and they searched out the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true, and many became believers because of that. God has graciously provided the Word to us, infallible and errant, so that we would know about His great works and His great work in redemption. These commands don't weigh a person down. In turn, as Jesus said, the burden is light, the yoke is easy. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 
Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The moment we believe in Jesus, that weight of sin is removed from us. That burden that is dragging us down to the ground, pushing us into the earth, is gone. We are free, free, free indeed. Free through the truth that is found in Jesus. And that's why His burden is not heavy, nor does it weigh us down or burden us. And if you don't believe this, do you you think that the Lord would actually have said these words if they weren't true? Are we inadvertently saying, oh, I can't deal with these commands that He has given us. They're too weighty, but He said that they're not. In turn, we're making the Lord a liar when we say that they are. Jesus does not trick people. Jesus is very clear in what He says. The Lord came to save, and save He did. He saves from sin and the burdens of this world. This world is full of sin. These commands of the Lord don't hem us in. In fact, they they free us. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. They, they give us freedom. We, we, don't be, we, don't, we are no longer like the people in Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. That didn't know their right from their left. I know the right from the left because the, because the Scripture tells me. Right? The Scripture tells me what is right and what is wrong. It tells me how I should be. It tells me that, hey, you claim to believe in Jesus and you're not loving your neighbor, there's a big problem. You're not loving your fellow believer, there's a big problem. We get clear instruction through the Scripture. And it's evidenced by keeping the commandments, we are loving our neighbors as ourselves, which is evidence of keeping our commandments. It goes around like that. You can't get away from it. It's simple. It's simple to keep. And this church in Ephesus, they would know it too. They would know it intimately too because they could only depend on their fellow brothers and sisters in the world in which they lived. They were certainly outcasts in that society where they were at. They would know that the keeping of the commandments was simple as Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe, as Jesus said. For Believe in the Gospel, the good news that is Him, the incarnate One. Uh, those commands would go and we would say that we are to live a life of repentance, of turning back to the Lord when we stumble. Uh, we don't have to worry about the next steps. For the Lord has already numbered them uh, until we are in His presence. The burden of living in this world in our own way and, and seeking out our own desires has been taken away and has been replaced by loving the Lord more and more every day. It should be a great relief when it is done. What the Lord has done. Uh, Which leads us to the next section as we come closer and closer to the end of this this section of 1 John. For In verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. For for whatever is born of God, whosoever is born of God, and who is born of God is the one who believes in Jesus the Christ. That is the one that is born of God. 
That, that is the one that when we were dead, we were made alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. While we were yet dead, we were made alive in Christ. It brings us back to the beginning about the belief of what John is speaking of here. Uh, uh, a belief that when we know Jesus, we are fathered by, by the Father Himself. Uh, because He has done the work. Well, we are able to follow His commands because the Holy Spirit which dwells within us guides us in that life. Does this mean that we are not going to stumble? Of course not. Sin is everywhere around us and pressing in us. We do not live a perfect life, but we live a life where we are able to repent and turn back to God. We live a life where the, where the Holy Spirit indwells us and guides us and corrects us. It enables us to do these things. The Holy Spirit working within us. Through knowing the Savior, through the work of Christ, we no longer seeking to live for the world and no longer seeking to, to get our next fix. Whether it's buying something or doing something, we are seeking to live without burden for Him. We know that the work that is necessary has been done by Him. We are no longer burdened to the degree that awaits us down by the burden of sin, but, but, but we are, that, that has been taken away. We are able to re repent and turn back when we do sin. That that sin burden has rolled off our, off our backs into that empty tomb and been taken away. It is gone. Never to be thought of again. Taken care of. Scraped away. No shadow of it when we stand before, before the Lord. To never be convicted to death again. Listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter seven, verse uh, uh, Romans chapter seven, verse fourteen. Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. For, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells within me. I find the principle that evil is present within me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Thanks be to God for the work that He has done. Thanks be to God that He has removed that burden of sin. Thanks be to God that when John asked that question in the last verse of 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 5, he says, who is the one that overcomes the world? He asks it rhetorically, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that is the one who overcomes the world. That is the one who is no longer bound by 
by the mores and the desires of this world. That is the one that is no longer seeking to please man. That is the one who is only seeking to please God. I must always remind myself when I stand up here and when I teach that I am preaching only to an audience of one. And that is the Lord Himself. That is who we seek to please in our lives. That that burden of pleasing man, of your boss, of your father, of your mother, of your co-workers, of your friends, of your neighbors. Got to make sure the lawn looks good so the neighbors won't get on my case, right? You no longer care about that in the manner you did before. Now you care about pleasing the Lord and being good, being a good Christian to those fellow Christians of yours and being a good example to the, as a Christian believer to those co-workers, to those neighbors on your street, that you do no longer live for yourself. You live for Him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 has come quickly to a close. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him. You see, it was nothing of your doing. You were dead when He made you alive. Lazarus didn't walk out of the tomb on his own. It was Jesus that caused Lazarus to come out of the tomb. While you were dead in your transgressions, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. How many of the transgressions? All of them. From before we believe to the moment up to the time we believe till the time we die. All those transgressions have been forgiven. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, that long list of sins that started way back in the beginning with us, that list that we pulled out has been gone, canceled, marked, paid. Marked, paid in the blood of the Savior is what it's marked in having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, we are victorious through Jesus, through abiding in Jesus. All who are found have entered through that narrow gate. And when you enter through that narrow gate, you don't go on a broad path. You continue on a narrow path. You are no longer the person you were before. You are no longer that same person. You don't get to do the same things you did before. And you shouldn't want to do them. Because if you went through the narrow gate and claimed you want to do those same things you wanted to do before, you might have gone through a different gate or come over the sheepfold in a different manner. But the narrow gate is that change in heart that starts putting, that you get on that narrow path that is putting to death those things in your life that are anti-God. That you go on that narrow path that, that, that you are not hemmed in, but you, are, you feel free when you're on that path that is narrow because now you know the way to eternal life. Jesus is there with you the entire time. The Holy Spirit guiding you on that narrow path. That narrow path doesn't have enough room for the old you to stand on it with you. It has only enough room for the new you with the new heart to stand on it and to walk on it and to traverse on it. There's only enough space for the new you. There's only enough space for those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those that are fathered by God. 
that love the children that the, God, that, father, that the Father has fathered, that know the commandments of the Lord, that know our Lord and Savior. That is how we find our victory. That is how we can look upon this world with all its disease and war, and we don't wring our hands saying, worrying about it. We pray for, the, for everybody who suffers through it. And we pray, not wringing our hands that we're worried about being killed, but worrying about how we can get the gospel to them so that they know where true life is found that is in our Lord and Savior. And if we went back to, we go back way back to the beginning as I close this down, and we would say that in this, in these verses, these five verses, we are shown that through, that through, through being children of God and through keeping His commandments, we are able to find victory over this evil world. And we found that we find that through Jesus Christ Himself, who paid the debt we could not pay, who had canceled it out in His blood, so that we might have eternal life. Let's pray. Glorious and heavenly Father, this is. In fact, we'll say it this way. Holy Father. Holy, holy, holy Father. The one who dwells in uh, unapproachable light. Uh, The one who we cannot look upon with our eyes. Uh, The one whose Son has provided the way to be rejoined in heaven to you. Uh, We are thankful for the work that is done on the cross by the Son. We are thankful for the incarnate Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of you now, interceding in prayer for us. We are thankful for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who guides us in right thinking and right manners. We ask that you continue to be with us throughout this day and during our time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You would stand and join us while we worship this all.